Welcome to the podcast of Grace Covenant Church, where we are transformed by God's grace, connected through relationships, and committed to service. Um, hey, thank you for coming. It, I'm, I'm glad you're here. I know you guys chose to be here. I thought I could choose to be here. Here's what happened this, this morning. I'm getting in my car. It's dark. It's raining. I don't want to be coming here. The, Jack Johnson is singing this song to me from my radio. It says, can't you see it's raining? Ain't no reason to get outside. Waking up too early, we should sleep in. I could make you banana pancakes. And I was thinking, you know what, Jack Johnson, you're right. I'm going to have some banana. I pulled off the highway, and then I thought, wait, I got I to gotta come. I don't have a choice on this. So maybe some pancakes later, but you could have been sleeping in. Don't you know it's raining outside? So thanks for coming. This is a great, tame, uh, great week to be here because this is uh, it's called Fall Kickout our fall kickoff Sunday, and a lot of churches in America do this because it's the first uh, Sunday of the school year, and a lot of people are back this, this week, and next week will be the highest attendances I think we'll have all year, typically. And so this is a time of uh, the year that we either remind people or inform people what our church is doing and how it does what it does. Why do we exist, and how does, how does, grace, how does grace work? And so if you were here last week, we started uh, that is a, it's a two-part series, it's, you know, it's called Plus One, and, and if you missed that, you should go online and watch it or listen to it, because we learned some things, and the, things, the thing we learned was, is, is crazy. We learned how the world works, like all of it, the whole world. We learned how the world works, we learned how life works, and it sounds trivial, but it's not. It's really deep. This is how the life works. This is how the world works. Here it goes, ready? Service in community. That's how, that's how things are created to work. People getting together in community, working, you know, as a team to, on some project, some, some agreed upon project, and for better or for worse, okay, for good or for bad, that's how it works. Things get done. So, right, whether you're, uh, we studied how all of Europe was civilized because they were service in, in community, or Tower of Babel, Nazi Germany, all these, there's bad examples of people service in community. That's just how it all works. That's the way, that's the way the world works. That's the way life works. That's, listen, that's the way Jesus worked. If you look at his ministry, he gets 12 guys together, there's other people around, but he certainly focuses on 12 because that's a small community. He teaches them how to serve. I came to, I didn't come to be served, but I came to serve. Watch me. Now you go do it and service in community, you'll change the world. And they did. And that's how grace works. We looked at our church. Look at our church vision statement. Two out of three things is service and community. The first one, right? It's connected through relationships. That's community, uh, committed to service. Well, that's service transformed by grace. That, that's where the magic happens. But stuff gets done because we're, right, we're community and service. Now, here's what we, we started thinking about in the leadership was, you know what? If something's not working at our church for you, then maybe you need to just work the formula backwards. You have to re-engineer it, right? So if, if, if you're not growing in your walk with God and you come here, maybe it's because you need a plus one. That's why we did the plus one. What will you add? You might need to add something because, because this is the way we we're designed. This is the way the church is designed. This is where our soul is made. We're not trying to get people busy here. That's not the kind of church we are. So a lot of, that's very popular. And so we just said, you know what? Here's the big challenge for plus one week one. The big challenge was Go on your calendar and put on your calendar, church, 9.15 to 12.30. 9.15 to 12.30, and the question was, what will you add? If it's service in community, you can do service, you can do community. Easiest, best, 
the place we need you the most when it comes to service is our children's ministry, Grace Kids. That's a place where you can come. One of the two hours that you come here, one of the two services you come, and you can change a child's life. You can be part of God's spirit changing a child's eternity. Okay? It's, that's why it says legacy starts here. It's an amazing opportunity for you. There's still 25 spot, spots left. Please consider signing up. If service and community, if it's not service, how about let's part two, community. Our adult communities are starting this week, completely revitalized, just a whole rebuild on this thing. We, have, we literally have a new building redone, not a new building, but a, a building redone. The paint is still drying. You can smell the carpet glued still, and we have new adult Sunday school classes, new leadership, new curriculum. Some of the new teachers starts today. It's the way your soul's designed. That's what, that was our plus one within the church. What, you're gonna, what are you going to do what, next? What, how do you do that? How do you get well? Service in the community. Now, this week, we're going to look at ministry outside the church. How, what's the plus one for ministry outside the church? We'll have a big application, big punch. It's going to be a big deal. It'll be, it'll be challenging. That comes at the end. Service in community outside the church. The plus one, what does that mean, outside the church? If you're new to Grace, you hear this all the time. I'm sorry, if you're old to Grace, you hear this all the time. If you're new, you're wondering, I didn't know there was ministry outside the church. What is a ministry outside the church? Well, at Grace, since the foundation of the church, right, since its very inception, we have a biblical conviction that every believer is a minister. Okay, this is right out of the Bible. It says in the book of Ephesians that every believer is a minister, and it has always been that way. All the believers have always been ministers. Okay, there were priests back in the day, but that was a small group of people. Everybody else was expected to be doing ministry. As a matter of fact, this is such a part of our culture that, again, if you're new here, you're going to wonder how everybody knows this, but watch this. I, look, I'm just a pastor, but you're the, yeah, you're the minister because that's, that's what God has in store for you. It says that he has prepared good works for you to do in Christ Jesus. That's what he has for us. To, he has prepared these things for us to do outside the church building, we mean. Okay, not outside the, the, the church, but outside this church building, off of this campus, we're going to want you to use the influence that God is giving you, whether it's in your neighborhood or your school or workplace, you know, soccer field, whatever it might be, but that's ministry outside the church. How, if you're, in a, if you're doing ministry, how does one do ministry outside the church? How, how does it work? How could it possibly work, ministry? Hmm. Well, Let's see, the world works, when, and life works, and Jesus works, and the church works. Let's just do the formula, okay? Ministry outside the church, service, say it everyone, service in community. I'm going to show you today that your ministry, I'm just a pastor, but your ministry out there that God has given you, the way it works is to be in service in community. And what I'd like to do is show you in the life of Daniel because if you were here this summer, we spent six weeks looking at the life of Daniel, and it was, it was pretty, you know, I guess applicable to our lives because he was living in a, in a very difficult culture, and he had to live a dif different way. I want, you, I want you to see now, in light of service in community is how things work, let's look at Daniel's life. If you weren't here, let me quickly review. Uh, Assyria, uh, Assyria ruled the world, Babylon beat Syria. Babylon took over Jerusalem, and their country was called Judah, and they, they sacked Babylon, ba the Babylonians sacked Jerusalem, the, the capital city, and over a series of years, even more than a decade, what ended up happen, happening is almost all of the inhabitants of the capital city of Jerusalem are now moved up and over 
to Babylon. Okay? And the Babylonian military were known for, they were like Klingons. They had, they had, there were no war ethics. They would do anything because they could. The point is, the cities burned to the ground, innocent people have been killed, and they showed no restraint in this, and the people now are living in Babylon. How do you live in a culture like that? It would be simple to emotionally hate them, loathe them, wish God's wrath upon them. It would be, it would be I guess, a, a simple thing for a people to just, re- just figure, you know what, God's, God's left us. I mean, clearly... He didn't show up when he needed to, and here we are. And so you, some people would want to just forget God and move on and become Babylonians. But how, how are you supposed to live in a culture that's, an anta- that's antagonistic to your faith, to your values, like to the things you consider dear and most essentially important in your life? How do you do that? That's what Daniel does. We spent six weeks looking at it. That's what Esther, queen of Persia, later the next kingdom, that's what she does. But what's presented in, in the Bible, and it's always, it's always out there. There's always two extremes. There's two ways to fall off a horse. There are always two ways. And here are the two ways that are presented to live in Babylon, in captivity, back in the day, and today too. The first one is over here. Assimilate. Just, just go along with the crowd. Just imitate the Babylonians. Become Babylonian. And that was Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon. That was his plan. That's the, way to, that's the way he did it. He said, you know what? You come here. We'll teach you how to live. We'll teach you our language. We'll teach you how to be Babylonian. And, and some people just say, you know what? Who cares? Why not? You know, I'll just fit in. And maybe in, by the end of my life, and maybe, certainly my children and generations, they'll, just, they'll be just like everyone else. They'll imitate. They'll be assimilated into the culture, and they'll imitate the culture. That's how some Christians live today. You don't even know who's, who's in, who's out, who's real, who's not. Only God knows, right? The other extreme is over here. There, uh, it's isolate yourself. Just go over here and, and, and leave everybody, just leave everyone. And there, in, in um, Jeremiah, one of the prophetic books, chapter 28, uh, there was a, a false prophet, Hananiah. And Hananiah was saying this, separate yourself. Don't move into the city. Get safe enough distance away. Everybody huddle together and let's pray God's wrath upon these people and we need to be you know, outside the blast zone, and it won't take long. He's coming back soon, and then we'll take over. He'll put us in charge again. So separate yourself, isolate yourself. Don't be part of the culture at all whatsoever. Just watch them burn from the mountaintop. A fair amount of Christians do that too. That's right. So those are the two sides of the horse to fall off on. And then Jeremiah, the real prophet, shows up and says, you know what? He finds the golden mean between the extremes, as Aristotle would say. He says this, um, don't imitate, right? Don't isolate. There's something in between. And, it's, and, it, and <laughs> you gotta, you're going to have to have a bigger view of God, and you're going to have to learn how to live in a different way. Watch what he says in Gen- Jeremiah chapter 29, because Daniel's going to take this for, as a blueprint. Channel 29, verse 4, he says, this is what Lord Almighty, by the way, that says Lord God of the hosts, God of armies, okay? This is what the God of the armies, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. God did that. He caused it, that. he allowed it to happen. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons. Give your daughters to be married. 
so that you too may have sons and daughters. Increase in numbers, do not decrease. Verse 7, also, look at this, also, seek peace and prosperity for the city. That means that word is shalom. Seek peace and prosperity for the city to which you have been carried, to which, I'm sorry, to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for the city, because if it prospers, you will prosper as well. This is the blueprint Daniel goes by. He, he, won't, he won't go with these two, these two extremes. If you look at this, rather shocking when you consider that Babylon was the, was the country, the nation, and the city-state in some respects that destroyed this capital of Jerusalem and took off their precious and sacred uh, uh, instruments from their temple and put them in, in a warehouse for their God to mock. And he says this, you have to have, there's two parts to what Jeremiah is saying. Here's how you live in a culture that's antagonistic. First, you're going to, have to ha- you're going to have to have a bigger view of a bigger God. You'll have to have a bigger view of a bigger God. And that was the whole theme of our six weeks together in Daniel. You can look at that if you weren't here. But the point was, here's what he's saying. Guys, you think that God had nothing to do with your conquest and your what's called the exile. And look at verse 7 or verse 4. He said God was part of it. This is what the Lord of the army said. The God of Israel, he says, to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. The God of the armies said to his armies, stand down. They ha- you have to have a view of God that says his plan is bigger than you can imagine or can make sense of, and he doesn't have to inform you about it. And God has... God. Who knows why? But God allowed this to happen. Here's why. So this plan was so that by, by losing your home court advantage, that was God's idea. They could, they could live in Jerusalem and everybody's getting along famously and everybody's having the same faith claims and same values. Let's just pretend. And it, it's, it's, it's an easy way to live. And he, his plan is to move them into a hostile environment. In, environment. There's polytheism, right? There's, there's versions of atheism and hedonism for sure. What, how do I live? He goes, I moved you there so I could, in, in that context, right, I could renew you and, and I could change you and I could grow you so that you could be part of renewing the Babylonian souls and changing the Babylonian heart and, and growing the Babylonian as a nation. You're going to have to expand the boundaries of the way you view me and the plan that I have before you. That's, that's what you have to do first and foremost to be able to live in a culture that's at war with the God of the Bible. That's how you're supposed to be thinking about your life in Austin. You, the reason you're here now, you could exist in any other time, you could exist in any other place, and God would use you strategically, but he put you here and now as part of a bigger plan. And, and it, honestly... It, as far as the whole south goes, south of the Mason-Dixie, I think every city is easier to live in than ours. I mean, there are towns, I have friends that are pastors, I mean, they talk about towns where they minister, and the cows are Christians. It is, it's like, what is life like there? I mean, it must be nice. That must be pleasant, right? Uh, and, but that's not here. And the point is, don't hide. It is not to isolate. It's not to assimilate. It's not to, right, to, to blend in. It's not to to run and hide from, right? Because the second part 
of the formula. The first one is to get a bigger God, a bigger view of the bigger God with a bigger plan. But the second one is to service in community. That's because that works. But in our case, I'm going to change it around because that's the order. It's community in service. It's community in service. If you look at the passage itself, he says, get your community right, and then you can start serving the city. Get your community right, then start serving. First, he says, stay in the community. He says, I refuse to allow you to believe that there's only two options. It's called a false dilemma where you are going to be assimilated or you're going to imitate the culture. Oh, okay, you won't do that, so I'm going to isolate myself. right? I'm going to retreat and hide. No, there's something else, and that is find a community first. Find a community. And so what he says is, the, how does he say that? He says, you, you need to, to, to do that so you can, watch this, so you can infiltrate this community. The Babylonian community. The only way you can infiltrate the Babylonian community is so that is, is if you form a community within yourself. Don't assimilate. Keep your identity. And so that's why he says uh, increase in numbers. Have your children. Marry. Have them have children. Increase your numbers. Don't let, it says don't let them decrease. Continue um, the blessing of the Abrahamic promise. That always means marrying within the faith, okay? It always means that in the Bible. And so he says, okay, just keep that thing going. Okay, get your community and keep your community growing. And then he says, don't isolate, but infiltrate. How does he say that? Build a house. <laughs> Move in. Plant a garden. Enjoy its produce. Move into the neighborhoods. Be part of Babylon. Hess and I were, Hanasso, whatever that guy's name was, bad. He was evil. He missed it. The false prophet, he says, I'm telling you, you to move in the city and serve that city. Be part of that blessing. Look what he says in verse 7. This must be like this. This must blow the mind of, of some of these men and women. Also, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I carry you into exile. Pray to me for the city because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Look at peace and prosperity. The word shalom. So what do we know? This word is not ours. We think it's like aloha, you know, hello, goodbye, shalom, hey, what's up? No, no. It, it is a multifaceted, all-encompassing peace and prosperity to you. That's why it's translated that way. Hey, you, when you say shalom, when you wish, when you pray shalom on a person, you're saying, I, I want your spiritual well-being. I, I hope for your physical well-being. I hope for your financial well-being. I hope that you're whole. And so when you pray to God for that, for the city, you're saying the same thing. I don't want you to isolate yourselves over here, right over here, and, and be a holy huddle, a bunch of little churches over here. Uh, J.I. Packard called it uh, rabbit hole Christians. He saw it on university campuses where kids were just running from a Christian rabbit hole to another Christian rabbit hole, hoping never to touch or talk to a non-believer. You know, one Christian event after another, sitting next to nothing but Christians on campus, like, yeah, I'm, I'm doing my part. No, that's not it. Don't isolate over here. Get, get in there. You know, pray for peace and shalom. Not just pray for it. It says do it. It says seek shalom for your city. What does that mean? Cause it to happen. Be, be part of making Austin safe. Be part of making Austin like, uh, uh, holy you're right, or, or prosperous. Make it, make it spiritual healthy. We can pray for this prosperity of of Austin, or of your neighborhood. Let's just go more local. Your, your neighborhood, your area of influence. And, and here's how you pray for them. You, you pray that they would prosper and be healthy. 
Talk to me about it. He says, no, 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 don't do whatever you do. Here's the thing. Serve your community. Don't isolate from it. Don't blend into it. Don't assimilate. Don't imitate. Don't go over here and, and find yourself way away. Never making an influence. Do this middle thing. Do this, right, the mean between these extremes. Do this thing. Serve in community. Have a community and then serve. Watch. Case in point. Daniel. Daniel probably read this prophecy or had it read to him. They're overlap, in, historically speaking. And so what does Daniel do? Look at his life. Chapter 1, let me just remind you, in his, in his life, right, he, he must have heard these words, I guess, but in his journey, in the Fertile Crescent, from Jerusalem up and around geographically, up and around, and he's going to Babylon, maybe he crests the hill, and he looks at that glorious city shining in the lights, and he says, okay, guys, what does he do? He turns to his friends, and he says, we will not be assimilated by this group of people, but we will not leave this people either. Think about, first of all, part one, community. How, by the way, can you think of a time in the Bible, I, I just thought of this so it might not be true, but where Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are ever not Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? I mean, they're just like, they're, they're the three musketeers. They must be chained together. Okay, and occasionally you see Daniel doing his own things, but these were four guys, they were a band of brothers, and they said this, no matter what happens to anyone else, we are going to be in community and we're going to serve this nation because that's what we're supposed to do. That's how your every believer is a minister in Babylon in a difficult culture. And so that's what they do. Up and around, their, they say, this is, we'll go this far but no further because then we start assimilating. Look at verse 8, chapter 1, verse 8. And Daniel resolved in his heart, okay, he resolved that he would not defile himself with the royal rations of food and wine. I won't be assimilated. Then he says this, and then he asked the palace master to allow him not to defile himself so he could infiltrate and serve. Here's what he said. I will go along with this system so I can maintain my distinctive within my community of faith so that I can serve the king who destroyed my city and killed my family. That takes a very big God with a very big plan that Daniel doesn't have to understand. I will maintain my community distinctives. I will not let go of my love for God so that I might serve the king and his country, the one that destroyed my city and took off the precious, right, the, the spiritual, the sacred things and had them hiding in some warehouse somewhere. Because he could see this bigger, he could see that God was bigger than what he would imagine. So what does he do? He goes along with the educational system and he thrives in it. He's like, I can memorize this stuff and I can put it back to you. It doesn't mean I have to believe anything that's not true. I can learn your language and you can think it can affect the way I view all the world around me. But you know what? My heart language is Hebrew and I pray to God Jehovah in this language. You can change my name and call me whatever you want, but I know whose I am. See? He, was, he wasn't going to be assimilated. He wanted to infiltrate. His job was to infiltrate the culture and the government. And oh my, he did that. Because he didn't isolate himself and he didn't imitate everyone else, he was able to do what ministry is, community in service. Look at the last sentence of chapter uh, 1. says this, And Daniel continued there until the first year of King Cyrus. Here, well, here's what that really means. He had 70 years of community in service. He served four tyrants in two different empires. And three of those tyrants, three of those tyrants said, yours is the only true God. Because 
He didn't imitate. He was distinct. He didn't isolate. He infiltrated the government. And, that's, and listen, by the way, he just had a regular sec, secular job. Here's, another, here's how Grace would say this. Every believer is a minister in community. The guy was a government worker. Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, all government workers. These aren't priests. These are ministers. Esther, minister, not a priest. She's a queen, <laughs> but that's good. Look, this is not new. I'm just trying to make it fresh. This is what Jesus is talking about. This is how he says to live in a hostile environment in a difficult culture. Let's just pretend like you're Jewish during the Roman times and people don't want you to be there and you hate the people that took, took over. Jesus says, whoa, 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 whoa. You should be in community and serve them because that's how the world works. That's how ministry works. And here's how he said it. He said, be salt of the earth, Matthew chapter 5. But he didn't say you, he said y'all. Look what it says. Y'all, that's community. It's plural. It's plural. Y'all, you in community, be salt of the earth. Do not, look, do not assimilate. Do not imitate. Don't blend in so much they can't tell you from anyone else because then you're good for nothing. The rest of the verse says, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. The only thing that imitation Christianity is good for is asphalt. It, it, it's not good for anything. It should be trampled on. Okay, let me tell you the fundamentals of salt. That's, boy, this is worth coming today. The fundamentals of salt. Banana pancakes later. Okay, here it goes. Salt gets out. Salt gets in. That's it. That's how salt works. Salt gets out. Salt gets in. Salt gets out. It's got to get out of that shaker, friends. Right? If it stays in isolation, nothing happens. Things don't taste any better. Things aren't preserved. And so you have to leave. You can't be in isolation or you're not salty. It's, it's good for nothing, salt. And then the other one is salt gets in. You, you, you've got to get into, oh, wait, I've got another word. You have to infiltrate the food. You have to get in there. You have to, if, you, if you're cooking a steak or something, you put the sea salt, the big stuff on there, and you rub it into the meat, don't you? You're infiltrating the meat. That's where, that's where it happens. That's, what, that's when it has its effect. And so what is Jesus? What? Jesus is salt of the earth. So what does he do? He's rubbing it up, isn't he? He's rubbing himself up against people that no one wants to touch, the lepers and the ill and the prostitutes and the tax collectors and the sinners. Yeah, us. <laughs> and the religious people, he just let them stay over here in isolation where nothing was happening. Get out of the salt shaker. He says, get out of the salt shaker and into the world so that you can infiltrate it, so that you can have effect on it, so that ministry can be done. Here's another way. Again, watch how this just keeps like adding up, right? Be in the world, but not of the world, okay? Be in the world. Don't be over here in isolation, but don't be of the world, over here imitating, right? These, this false dilemma, the two sides of the horse to fall off. He says right here, be, be there. Ebam, every believer is a minister, right? In community, in community. So here it is. Here's today's. Here's the punchline for today. Service in community outside the church. That's what we're talking about today. Service in community outside the church. And here's our plus one. Not what will you do. Here it goes. 
Who will you bring? Who will you add? Here's, here's the crazy, like I said, application that's a big deal. We want everyone at Grace, even the children, to bring one person to Grace Covenant Church this fall. We want every person to bring one person to Grace Covenant Church this fall. This is a big thing. There's a lot going on here. Here's what it's going to take for you to do. You're going to have to find a community or invent a community in your place of influence. Work, right, play, hobbies, neighborhood, and, and infiltrate and pray. We do that in community. And then how do we do ministry? Prayer, care, share. We pray. How do we pray? Jeremiah told us how to pray. Pray for shalom. Pray for the shalom of these people that you have allowed, God has allowed you to know and love. I mean, I prayed, I prayed for, I told a guy at the gym the other day, I said, he's got a gym somewhere else. I said, man, I'm so happy for you. You I just, you look how prosperous you were. I remember when you had three jobs and you're working hard and look at you. Look how God has blessed you. I pray that you would be prosperous and that you would have a, a lot of success in, in finances. And he goes, what? I said, yeah, I pray that you'd be blessed. I mean, I, and I, I mean, I think for a moment, in that moment, I think he liked me. I think that one, he, you prayed that I, I would make a lot of money in my business. I said, well, yeah. Pray for your marriage, that it would be prosperous. I pray, yeah. Prayer, care. Prayer, care, share. That's how we do ministry here. Care. We look for opportunities to help people and then share. And we share with them. We say, you know, why don't you come to church? Now, here's why this is a big deal. We're asking everyone to bring one person this fall, okay? This is the best we've ever been, Grace Covenant Church. Friends, it's taken, it has taken 20 years to be here this Sunday, 20 years at least. We have all the right staff doing all the right jobs, and they are really good at what they do. We have a facilities now that is first and foremost beautiful. Oh, my. You walk up from the parking lot, you are just spellbound. But here's the bigger thing. We have room. We have room. We have never been able to say, everybody bring a friend, because you wouldn't fit in here. And until this year, if you, did, if you could fit in here, this is why we built this huge place, right? But if you brought your people in here and they had children, you couldn't take them to the children's ministry. This is the first time in 20 years at least, but it's taken 20 to get here at least, people have been praying for this day. This is the day that people prayed for and gave to and, and invested in so that you, everyone at Grace, could bring a friend and their children would have a place to go. We have two children's buildings. We have a beautiful auditorium, and now we have room for adult ministry, Sunday school classes as well. This is a very strategic time in the history of Grace. We've never been able to do that. Couldn't have done it even last year. The quality of things around here, they seem to be getting good. I don't know what we've put in the punch with this band, but they're killing it, aren't they? I mean, what in the world? Yeah. So, okay, so there's that. Strategically speaking, we've, we've never been here before. We're going to study the book of Mark for 13, 12 weeks starting next week. And the reason we're studying the book of Mark is because we've been waiting years for this week, for this week. We'll start this fall, and here's why. We want to use the shortest biography. The Gospel of Mark is the shortest one, and we want people to come in here and say, you know what, let Jesus speak for himself. Forget about your background. Forget about your history. Forget about church history. Forget about all your baggage that you bring in here. Let the man speak for himself. If, if you don't like him, that's okay, but just don't like him for him. 
right? Not for all this myth, not for these other reasons. Let him just listen to his story. See how he treats women and children and outsiders and people in authority. Then make a decision. Is it true? Is it true? So, and what are the consequences for that? So we have a great time in the context of the history of this church. We have a great gospel. We will ring the bell on this book, okay? We will ring the bell on this book. Bring a person. Ask a person. Now listen, I know a couple of you, your hearts are already racing. Know this. You're doing the easy part, okay? You're, you don't, you're doing the easy part. God does the hard part. You can leave a horse to water. God can make him thirsty. Whether he drinks it or not, is not, it's way above our pay scale. We can't handle those kind of issues. We can't even understand that sort of theology. You're not supposed to be able to understand it. But what you can do is, <laughs> is fill, that, you know, you know, fill a glass full of that water and you know, bang it around and say, well, this is great water. This is life-giving water. It's cold. It's good to taste. You should have some. You can make it enticing. That's all you can do. That's all we're asking you to do. Just play your part. Just play your part. There's so many... There's, before you ever talk to someone, before you say, hey, I was thinking maybe you could come to church with me sometimes. What? I was thinking maybe you could come to church with me sometimes. Before you say that, there's been dozens of people that have already bumped into this person. The Spirit of God has preceded you because he cares more, he loves more, he knows more, and he does more towards every soul on this planet. So there's no cold calling. You're you're just following. You're just playing your part. Watch. Let me just show, I'll tell you what. Let me show you how you just play your part and things happen when you're serving in community. Watch this videotape. This is Nate. Nate became a Christ follower two weeks ago and is still a bit giddy about it. Now he's trying not to do cartwheels in public. Nate became a believer partly because of Kim. Yet, oddly enough, Kim and Nate have never met. How is this possible? Well, let's take a look. Kim loved Jesus from an early age, and in college she had a huge impact on her friends. While most of her peers used their college years to, well, experiment, Kim didn't. She remained committed to her faith, and it showed. It especially showed to Lisa, her roommate confessed to Kim that she wanted whatever it was that made Kim so strong. Kim shared her faith with Lisa, and Lisa believed. Years later, at Lisa's first real job, she met Thomas. Thomas was hit by a drunk driver when he was 13 and still carried a lot of anger and bitterness. Thomas and Lisa became friends, and it wasn't long before he started going to church with Lisa and her husband. After a lot of studying and searching, Thomas gave his life to Christ. Fast forward a few years. Thomas became a public speaker and was often asked to speak at large events. See, when he became a believer, Thomas developed a new perspective on life. He stopped resenting what had been taken from him and started being thankful for the second chance he had been given. On one particular day, Thomas shared about overcoming hardship and what it means to choose joy. He was so passionate that a number of people were inspired to share a link to his video. The video of Thomas inspired James, too. And if anyone needed inspiration, it was him. James had a ton of issues. He spent most of his life as a passive husband, an absent father, and a horrible friend. That said, no one disliked him more than he disliked himself. But everything changed the night he happened to watch Thomas online. Something clicked and he knew what he had to do. He surrendered his miserable life to someone greater, and he was forever changed. 
James fought hard to make up for the lost years with his family. And he also began working with young men who were in danger of throwing their lives away. One of those men was Nate. Nate didn't really know his own dad, and he had no real direction in life, ultimately bouncing from one bad decision to another. Because of that, he often found himself in trouble with the law. No one had ever showed him what it looked like to be a real man. That is, until he met James. James became the first father figure Nate ever had. He learned about honesty, self-control, humility, and integrity, and where those traits come from. Two months later, Nate publicly declared his belief in Christ. And of course, James was there. Now you can see the connection. Nate was impacted by James, who was influenced by Thomas. Thomas saw an uncommon joy in Lisa, who learned of Jesus from Kim. Kim's relationship with God eventually led to Nate's. Funny how these two people have never met and never will. You know, I, I grew up in a, in a good church. I rarely missed mass, and, um, it, but it didn't, I mean, I, the information was all in front of me, but I, it never dawned on me until a Saturday morning early when I was 20 years old that Jesus died for me, not us. He died for me because of me. It was my fault. And that fact hit me like a train, and it changed everything for me, and I was all in. Now, I didn't know what to do next. Um, I didn't know, you know, if I should sell everything and get a giant cross and walk barefoot across the country. That was a thing. I don't know why, but it was a thing. And so, but there were these like three or four guys in the dorm and they, and they went to a meeting on Thursday nights at seven o'clock and it was a meeting that taught them how to live the Christian life. And so I was hoping that I could go with them. So on Thursday afternoon at 6.30, I would sit in the lobby and I'd, I'd wait for them to come downstairs. Then they had their Bibles and they, I said, hey, well, where are you guys going? Oh, we're going to this, I don't know, Bible study thingy, you know. I said, oh, okay. What, uh, what are you doing? I'm not, I'm not doing a thing. Nope, not doing anything. Okay, see ya. I was <laughs> okay. All right. So the next week, 6.30, rolls around. I'm down in the lobby waiting, waiting, waiting. They come down again, uh, and they say, hey, are you going to that Bible study again? It's Thursday. It is. It's today, Thursday, right? You going to that Bible study? It was Campus Crusade for Christ. Now I think it's just called Crew Now, and, and, I, and they said, yeah, yep. We go on Thursdays. Oh, because I'm not doing anything. No, not a, not a thing. Not a thing. I mean, the third week I'm sitting down there, and somebody, the, the, you know, the light goes on, and they ask me, and I jump out of the chair and run off with Now, listen, in their defense, I was a pirate just like two weeks ago, and I did a lot of bad things, and I was kind of notorious, like famously bad, and they probably thought that I was, you know, having a, I need a small village to pillage and burn or some kind of <laughs> nefarious activities. So they, they just, here's the point. They assumed that, that I didn't want anything, and here's my point. Why? They had nothing to be ashamed of. This meeting was amazing. Everybody was, you know, was happy. They were great people. It was a community of believers. They sang some really fun songs. They had good Bible teaching. What was, what, why? <laughs> you know, they weren't charming snakes, right? It was a good thing to go to, invite the guy. You don't know that their pirate days are over. Be, be courageous. You don't know if it's the existential right, grind of life is 
probably just now snapping someone or the, 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 the face of, of shame is becoming too heavy for someone to wear any longer or they're no longer having the power. They've given up. They are out of power and they, and they need something more. You don't know that that's not going on in their souls because God is making them thirsty. Here's my appeal. Plus one, add one to this church. Add one to this church. And you invite someone and they come, it could change a world. Okay? I dare you. Lord Jesus, we lift up this congregation to you. We are blessed by you. And it is your, it is your work that has made us uh, healthy at this season of our life as a church. And so, God, I'd ask that you would cause people to hunger and thirst for you. We pray for the prosperity of our friends, our neighbors, our acquaintances, our workmates. We pray for the prosperity of our city, that it would be safe, that it would be affluent, that, it would, that everyone would do well. Lord, I'd ask that you would teach us how to do that in the lives around us. Open our eyes, God. Open our eyes to all the people that you have touched way before we talked to so that we might be an instrument. We would be community in service as ministers for the good work that you provided for us to do in Jesus Christ. We pray this with great confidence. And this congregation said, amen. For more information about Grace, visit our website at grace360.org. 